another episode of the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so happy that you are with us today. My guest today is a very good friend and an incredible person named Dr. Molly Malouf. She has firsthand experience in transforming her health and the health of her patients, and she has dedicated her career to researching new innovative ways to help people live a healthier lifestyle and improve their health span. For three years, she has taught a course on health span at Stanford University. She is on the cutting edge of personalized medicine, changing how we, we look at everything from digital health technologies to psychedelic medicine and has high profile entrepreneurs, investors, and technology executives on optimizing, uh, she's helped them uh, optimize their health. Through her new book that is coming out, The Spark Factor, she focuses her unique philosophy to help women biohack their biology to live a happier, healthier, and more energized life. And people that I trust personally in this space really has called it a biohacking Bible. So I'm super excited reading this book that's coming out at the end of January 2023, at the end of this month. Today, we're going to dive deep into, let's say, biohacking and health optimization as a whole. We're going to look at personalized nutrition, microbiome, and optimizing gut health. We're going to be looking at metabolic flexibility and fasting, hormonal health, and also cutting-edge biohacking strategies. We're going to obviously look at how we improve our skin through each each one of these modalities. You will learn how to or what tests are important to do on a regular basis and uh, how you can who you can go to in order to interpret those tests. You'll learn what is metabolic flexibility and how you can measure it and control it. And you'll learn what is the cutting edge, what is the next best thing as far as women's health, health optimization, and biohacking. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd uh, like to mention that it's going to mean the world to us if you took two seconds out of your day to subscribe to the podcast. Not only uh, will this ensure you will never miss on an episode, but it also greatly helps the growth of the podcast. So please make sure you do that. And last but not least, I'd like to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Young Goose, the biohacking skincare brand. And what we do at Young Goose is we take the cutting edge as far as longevity molecules, and we lower the functional age of your skin. After that, we ask the skin to do specific things that it can now do better, whether it is wrinkles, pigmentation, laxity, sensitivity, acne, and overall age of our skin. So make sure you head to younggoose.com, take our skin quiz, and find a system that is right for you. But now, without further ado, please welcome Dr. Molly Malouf. All right. So Molly, welcome to the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm very excited. Obviously, we love you here on a personal level. We love the work that you do. We consume every bit of of information you put out there. Um, Thank you. So I'm I'm super excited to read the new book that is coming out soon. 
Yeah. How are you feeling about Sing. it? I'm feeling really good about it. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where it's been three years in the making of this project. And it's like, it's books are, I mean, I've never done a book before and I've always wanted to. And so I didn't realize what kind of learning curve would, it would be, but it's definitely, it was definitely a really great learning experience. Like I learned so much and I feel like the next book I write will be a lot easier, yeah. a lot easier to do. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like one thing is there's one thing to write a book and there's another thing to market a book. And mm -hmm. so marketing the book is a little stressful, but sure. um, you know, I spent so many years building relationships with brands and companies and people and influencers and podcasts. And so it's kind of like, it's fun to get to after like helping so many companies, it's, it's fun to ask them to help me too. So that's been really nice, including your company. So exactly. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say that you've helped us a lot and we super appreciate it. And obviously we rely on people such as yourself to like our product. So it's very exciting for, for us to kind of be talking about your baby and, and what you're doing. So what are just looking at the book and, and for anyone such as myself that is like super excited to read it already. What are some of the main themes and ideas that, that you present there in Spark Factor, which is the book? I mean, the big, big thing about the book that a lot of people don't really realize is mitochondria are the seat of health and disease. So the vast majority of chronic metabolic diseases and mental illnesses are due to mitochondrial dysfunction and energy deficiency. Yeah. Because when we have energy deficiency in our cells, what happens is the cells will break down and sometimes they'll die. Mm -hmm. And even if they just break down, if you don't have enough energy to do work, it's kind of like having a house that had the power cut or 50, or maybe it's running on 50% power, like in a brownout, stuff mm -hmm. starts to break. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And that that is an issue. That, that makes you sick. It does. You know, one of the, uh, one of the examples... I liked to give like a, 10 years ago when people was g getting blurry eyed when I said the word mitochondria would be like, if we shut mitochondria off in your body with the switch for like 30 seconds, you're dead. You're dead. Yeah. And obviously, you know, when we talk about the skin, that, that's probably one of the most, you know, the, the biggest culprits for the appearance of our skin, like mitochondrial decline, how our mitochondria are able to function, et cetera. Yep. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing is like, a lot of people don't know about this thing called skin autofluorescence, mm -hmm. but your skin and the glow that you get from your skin is a really important marker of health. So everyone's always asking me, like, how do I know if I'm healthy? And obviously there's a bunch of markers on the inside, right? Like mm -hmm. there's biomarkers and there's phenoage and there's ways that you can use your, your, your lab markers to determine your health. But a really good marker of health is like, do you have shiny hair? Do you have bright skin? Do you yeah. have good quality, healthy skin. And so many, I mean, like, look, I, I really think you got to approach skin from the inside out from the outside in. So you can't just like not take care of your skin. I've been, I've been washing my face and exfoliating and using sunscreen and vitamin C since I was in high school. So like, I've always cared about skin, but I struggled with breakouts on my back when I was in high school and mm -hmm. it was hormonal and it was gut health and it was insulin resistance. And I didn't really understand those things until I became a doctor and even after I became a doctor is really when I started figuring out health itself because we're taught disease in medical school and, and we're taught like just, you know, add some benzoyl peroxide and retinol and you'll have better skin. And frankly, yeah. those things ruined my, my skin. I would, I would get like re allergic reactions to that, like specifically the benzoyl peroxide. I used to just get really swollen skin from, from too much benzoyl peroxide wow. and it just wasn't working for me. And honestly, when I got my gut health sorted out, that was a big step in the right direction of getting my skin better 
But people just don't know this stuff. It's not common knowledge. And and like blood sugar is a huge, huge, huge influential factor in skin health, in wrinkling, mm -hmm. in in acne formation. And we don't get taught that in medical school. We're in really mitochondrial health is like not really a big part of your medical medical education because it's very new science. Like we just yeah. found out about mitochondrial DNA like within like the last 20 years or so, maybe the last 15 years with Douglas Wallace. Yeah. So it's pretty new science. It is. And, and you know, what is very interesting to me is when we did discover, you know, either the, let's call it the hallmarks of aging as a whole, when they were presented, you know, 2013 on in, in Cell, in the seminal paper in Cell, etc. Yeah. Most people are looking at the hallmarks of aging as some kind of you know, as an even playing field, you know, if one doesn't work correctly, it means it, it, it is as important if another one doesn't. And to me, at least, mitochondrial decline is the, let's say, the most influential, is the strongest, let's call it, player in that field. Yeah. So it's important yeah. to understand that it, they are not, not all uh, created equal. Right. Yeah. I, I do think that almost every hallmark of aging can be attributed to mitochondrial dysfunction. But that being said, I also think that, you know, I, I have a tendency and we all, we all have a tendency to want to simplify things. Health mm -hmm. is complex, right? But I think I've really explained a pretty darn good model for understanding how mitochondria affect health and why lifestyle factors affect yeah. mitochondria. And it was really not just my work. It was, um, the work of Martine Picard and Robert Navio, you know, these two mitochondrial researchers yeah. that really enabled me to see how our lifestyles and how our psychosocial health affects our mitochondrial function. So like one of the things that I talk a lot about in the book is stress and like stress is not good or bad. It's just part of life, right? So mm -hmm. stress can make you stronger if it's not overwhelming stress. But when we have so many different stressors from different directions, that can really break the body because it can drain the batteries. And yeah. if you don't have enough capacity to meet your demands, stuff starts to break down. And it, and, yeah. and that, when I understood that, like, oh, stress actually can make me stronger, but also too much stress can break my body. This was like launching a book this year and building a company and teaching at Stanford. This is 2023, like uh -huh. 2022. I did so many things in one year in 2022. And I literally was like, okay, I got to the very tip of the stress cup. Like it was so close to overflowing. And then I was like, okay, time to take a vacation. But yeah. I, I genuinely feel like the cool thing about optimizing health is that you can just keep building bigger and bigger capacity. So your stress cup gets larger and larger. So you can actually handle more and more without breaking. And that's the beauty of biohacking is that you can actually literally change your body's capacity to handle different demands. Definitely. Do you feel there is a difference so since the book is geared more towards women or is looking through the vantage point of, mm. of like addressing biohacking health and, and, and health span? you know, for yeah. women specifically, do you feel that this approach also should be separate for men and women, whether it is building stress, whether it is health optimization? It really depends on a lot of things. First and foremost, for women, it's very much dependent on like what age you're at and what place in the fertility cycle you're at, right? Mm -hmm. So like women, like, like young kids generally, like who haven't gone through puberty yet, their biology is very similar. Mm -hmm. And then when you get through menopause and if you don't take hormones, interestingly, your your biology starts to resemble more of a man's. Like so you, if you don't have a lot of estrogen lying around, like you start to just, your body changes and you can, and, and, and things are a little bit more neutral. But yeah. when you're going through, you know, when you're premenopausal and you're going through menopause, you're definitely not going to be like a guy because mm -hmm. you've got hormones that are changing. 
And those hormones that are changing are really what make women have to be it just gives women a little bit of a disadvantage and in a few and in some advantages. Like on one hand, women are acutely sensitive to emotional cues. Like we're very mm-hmm. sens- we're, we're very in tune with our emotions, and we're 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 basically riding an emotional roller coaster throughout the month because we have so we just feel like different women at different times of the month, right? Mm-hmm. So during the follicular phase, we feel strong and we can go out and do things, and we feel like we can hit our personal best at the gym. And then we ovulate and we feel really attractive. And then we go mm-hmm. through luteal phase and we're kind of more tired and relaxed, a little bit more moodier. And then you hit your 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 period, and some women really struggle with their period, some women don't. But your period is a pretty good barometer of your overall health. And so you know you're changing a lot, but you're also like what women who are in tune with their bodies realize there's going to be times of the month where I'm going to be more emotional. There's going to be times of the month where yeah. I'm going to be more stressed and I have to be more careful with my energy. And then with mm-hmm. men, they don't really have this kind of cycle. They can do a lot more intense biohacking and in in, without breaking down as quickly. So like a woman who does too much fasting, and by the way, I, I've, I've actually done too much fasting in the past. So like, I know, I know what it's like to have fasting transform my health and also mm-hmm. to overdo it. And the thing about fasting is that you just got to be a little bit more careful with as a woman than a man. Men can be a little bit men can be a little bit more risk taking when it comes to fasting, but women have to be very careful because we can affect our hormones, we can affect our mood, we can affect our our body fat, and we can affect you know our stress levels first and foremost. So we're mm-hmm. we have a biological imperative to to re- reproduce, and men obviously have a biological imperative to spread their seed and help us reproduce, but women's jobs are to keep a baby and the tribe alive with food. <laughs> so yeah. like. If we go through too much food deprivation, our thyroid hormones gets dysfunctional, our cortisol goes up, and we start prioritizing hormonal signals to survive and not to re- – so like last year when I was under like the most stress I've ever been under aside from maybe residency, mm-hmm. my estrogen levels got lower as my cortisol levels rose. And it was really interesting because I was like, oh yeah, I definitely need to cut back on my stress levels. I definitely need to start doing more recovery because I was seeing the effects on my hormones and I'd measure my hormones and I measure my labs. So I'm the kind of person who's keeping tabs on these things. And like the beauty of having data is that I can actually make better decisions about my health. So like aura rings can, having an aura ring is really great. Having a blood sugar monitor is really great. It's just really key to keep tabs on your health if you can. Men, on the other hand, in terms of the, what they need to do differently with biohacking, like one of the big things I talk about in the book is social connection and love mm-hmm. and sexuality. And so this is really kind of left out of biohacking in general is like these these facets of our of our health, but they're really important. And like one in five men don't have any friends. And that actually wow. causes a lot of stress on the nervous system, not to have a tribe. So like the, the thing about women is women are generally more social and we're more, we're just, we generally, we, we communicate a lot more, we connect a lot more. And so it's really, really important for men and women both to prioritize healthy relationships as a mm-hmm. biohacking strategy, because it's a big part of your survival strategy. And at the, when, you know, when the world goes crazy, like what we went through with, with the pandemic, you know, being isolated is not great for our health. We have, we've learned this. And mm-hmm. so now that we've all, we've kind of been through this pandemic and we're kind of coming out of it and we're in this new normal, everybody needs to emphasize building a tribe and building a community. And that's one of the things I love about the biohacking world is that there's such a great community. I agree. I think, you know, biohacking in general, whether you, you like the word, but whether you don't like the word, I think any word that you're going to be using and you're, you're attaching your, your journey to will eventually lead you to find people who are I don't know if like-minded, but at least are on the same path, on the same journey. Yeah. And that is that could build 
a community around a journey and not necessarily take a toll on the journey that you're going through. Because a lot of the times, especially, you know, you're a, you're kind of uh, an OG in the biohacking field. I remember being a biohacker like 10 years ago before, before yeah. I knew that I am one. Totally. Uh, it, it was a little lonely. I mean, no one knew what I'm talking about. No one I knew. Know. You know what? I remember talking about leaky gut in like 2014, yeah. 2015. Yeah. And I mean, I remember finding Dr. Josh Axe talking about leaky gut. And that was like my aha moment. There is another one person in the world that even knows what I'm talking about. Yep. So exactly. The, the uh, I, and, and, you know, fast forward, uh, going to the biohacking conference 2021, I want to say, yeah. uh, Dave Asprey's uh, biohacking conference, realizing how many people are now like me in, in, in our journey. That was to me a, yeah. a, an amazing moment to be, to be yeah. frank. I mean, it's now cool to see there's a huge movement. I mean, it's sparked yeah. an entire industry. Mm -hmm. So many companies, so many yeah. podcasts. I mean, literally, like when we think about health today, there's kind of like sort of like the goop version of health, you know, mm -hmm. and then there's like biohacking. <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, and biohacking <laughs> is just such a, um, it's, it's not just a trend. It's like, it's a, it's a revolution and a movement against mm -hmm. feeling like the system is failing us when it comes to keeping us healthy, yeah. right? The system isn't designed to optimize your health. It's designed no. to make sure that if you have serious sickness, you don't die. And so yeah. we need to stop expecting that from the healthcare system and also like build products and services that do improve health. Definitely. Now within that realm, obviously one of the hottest topics is talking about how you know women are underrepresented within that field right within that field of research into medicine as a whole as you said they're not really good test subjects because you're going to get you know one woman in her luteal phase another one postmenopausal they could be the same age as well etc cetera, etc cetera. so there is a lot of uh, different variable that makes them less attractive as, as a test subject. And in the end, you know, the uh, outline we're getting into health from allopathic medicine, from conventional medicine is a little, let's call it a little skewed to one side. Mm -hmm. So, you but know, yeah, talking... I mean, sorry to interrupt, but like, yeah. you know, we, we know the people working in the healthcare system know this, by the way, like yeah. most of these doctors are aware that there's a skew and there's a problem. Like they just don't know what to do about it. 100%. And that's why I, I love what you said about lab testing and in general, just inf gathering information that is an N of one, just like information about you specifically, is that you can you can kind of test, obviously carefully and, and responsibly, but you can kind of test what works for you and what, what doesn't and adjust your lifestyle accordingly. Talking about nutrition, because yeah. that was what we started with, what yeah. do you think, what do you think uh, is a good way to kind of test your parameter what what works for you what doesn't work for you as a whole and as and as a woman well i would say the first thing is i'm a big big fan of blood sugar monitoring so mm -hmm. like i love my my, my cgm like mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that i keep putting on and i keep using year after year after year and i was like one of the first doctors in 2014 to just start studying these things on healthy people and myself. And I was borderline pre-diabetic. So, wow. you know, now my blood sugar is running a little low and I'm like, uh oh, I need to eat something. But I also eat low carb. So it generally runs lower. But, you know, when I was under a lot of stress this last year in 2022, 
my blood sugar started getting really erratic and my my like actual glycemic variability was pretty out of control. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I really need some time off because I was just working too much. Right. And like, yeah. I basically spent a whole month just like doing nothing but working in November. And it showed itself in my CGM. I could see yeah. that my blood, I was getting insulin resistant because I wasn't getting enough recovery and because my cortisol was too high. Yeah. That is something you just, can't get from anything else right now. It's so fast, so easy. It's just such a great tool. Now you have to learn how to interpret it. And I wouldn't say any company right now, even the ones I advise, like nobody's really nailed the software and nobody's mm-hmm. really nailed the interpretation. But if you know how to interpret it, it's game changing. And so finding a, a, a coach or a doctor who knows how to use these, it's not easy, but they do exist and they are getting more and more popular. So that's a big, that's a big, that's a big thing. Yeah, and and uh, you know a good thing about about finding a doctor or finding a professional that can deal with it is that they don't have to see you in person, right? You can send them the results, and and they can kind of have a an online session, like a Zoom session, to interpret them and and to and to guide you. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, I would also say that I'm a big fan of stool studies and mm-hmm. urine, urine organic acids. So mm-hmm. you can, and I also like hair minerals testing. So like mm-hmm. if you want to analyze a person's overall metabolic health and they're also micronutrients in their dietary health, you got to look at markers of metabolism. So I'm, I'm, that's why I use the NutriVal by Genova Diagnostics or Metabolomics test. Mm-hmm. And then I also use stool studies to identify how well a gut's functioning. Cause if your gut isn't well, then there's a lot of micro, there's a lot of microbiome mitochondrial crosstalk. And you're just going to have a lot of inflammation in the body and that's going to drain your capacity. It's going to cause a lot of um, damage to your cells. So you got you to keep tabs on your metabolic health through your gut health. And then mm-hmm. um, air minerals is really important because it's not easy to get minerals on your urine organic acids. They won't mm-hmm. get, they'll give you more micronutrients and vitamins and maybe some minerals. But if you want to do minerals testing, there's a company called Upgraded Formulas and they have great minerals um, products and mineral hair minerals testing direct to consumer. So I, I use all those things to actually measure metabolism. Amazing. So going into um, stool testing, obviously uh, gut microbiome, it's fascinating to me that we're going through like a, a, a adjacent journey to everything that affects the skin, like without talking about, we talk about blood sugar spikes, and obviously that leads to um, glycation, which, which really affects collagen, et cetera. Now we're talking about the crosstalk between our gut and either mitochondria, inflammation, et cetera, which obviously affects our skin and, and the way we, we age as a whole. And, and talking about like gut health and stool testing, mm-hmm. this is not a new concept, but really the accuracy and the reliability of these tests have transformed in the last few years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, and the widespread use and adoption of them. I mean, there's so there's more and more doctors, naturopaths, chiropractors, you name it, using functional testing. Yeah. And if you know how to interpret functional testing, like you've got a guidebook for actually just doing an anal- analysis of the body's health. Yeah. So aside from from obviously the normal, you know, supplementing of probiotics, etc., what are some of the strategies that that you implement in order to improve gut microbiome or to improve gut function? I mean. If I'm not really stressed out, fasting is great for mm-hmm. just if you have if you have any bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. A little bit of fasting is really helpful for that. I've had people, you know, fix their fix their, you know, SIBO through fasting. Mm-hmm. And then I also know people who have inflammatory bowel diseases who fix their gut through fasting. So wow. just like eating less often, fasting, like and just not snacking as much, even if you're not gonna fast, just snack like maybe twelve hours a night and then just not snacking as much. That's really mm-hmm. helpful for reducing uh, bacterial overgrowth in the gut. 
And then some people who take antibiotics and they actually have undergrowth of my, of, of good microbes. And so, you know, if you've had an antibiotic exposure recently, highly recommend you, you know, redose yourself with probiotics and fermented mm-hmm. foods. Now, fermentation and fermented foods are really, and, and probiotics, you got to be a little bit careful if you're somebody who has allergies and atopy, asthma, mm-hmm. eczema, because you may be more sensitive to histamine producing probiotics. So, and histamine, you know, in food. So the, these are people who would not do well with leftovers or would not want to do cured meats or preserved foods. They want to do more fresh foods. So mm-hmm. we really got to personalize this stuff. I've had people do a stool study and see there's blood in their stool and they ended up having a polyp that could have grown into stool, colon cancer if they hadn't removed it. So that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. H. pylori, you got to treat that. If you don't, if you, if you have H. pylori, it can cause ulcers. So that's a big no. And it can also mm-hmm. cause gastric cancer. So these are all just kind of examples of ways that you can take this data. You can also see if you're producing things like, you know, like there's a odorobacter formagenes, I believe is what it's called. It's a, it's a oxalobacter formagenes and it's mm-hmm. a bacteria that degrades oxalates. So somebody who has low oxalobacter may be at higher risk for things like kidney stones. And then for people who, so these, these people who just want to avoid oxalates as much yeah. in, in their diet. And then for people who are high in methyl, there's certain strains of bacteria I'll call like methanobacter smithy. It's like a bacteria that produces methane. So if somebody's really, really high in that one, I might want to check them for methane, SIBO, if they, especially if mm-hmm. they have symptoms. And then there's also things like, like, what's the last one? You know, there's there's different bacteria that can be associated with metabolism issues. Yeah. And there's a company called Pendulum Probiotics, and they actually create a, what is it called? I'm trying to think of the bacteria that it is. But it's a bacteria that if you have too little of it, you can end up with increased risk of diabetes and prediabetes. Mm-hmm. So you can take probiotics to modulate metabolism. So yeah. I think we're, we're just we're just beginning the frontier of probiotic health and like personalized probiotics are a big thing now too. 100%. And uh, yeah, because you know, you, you should obviously cultivate the uh, bacteria in your gut according to what's going on in your gut and not just mm-hmm. uh, an over our, overarching uh, approach. Blanket could actually do more harm than good. You did mention fasting, you mentioned low carb, and I know you're a big proponent of something we talk about a lot here, which is metabolic flexibility. Yes. First of all, how would you define it? And obviously, we, were ta- we are talking about testing and measuring, and that's something that, you know, I think we within metabolic flexibility, we're still kind of behind a little bit. So first, how, how do you define sure. it? Sure. Metabolic flexibility is the ability to easily switch between carb and fat metabolism. Mm-hmm. And the way I know if I'm metabolically flexible is like if I don't eat for a few hours or if I eat really low carb for a few days and I my blood sugar's low but I feel fine mm-hmm. and I'm and I can smell ketones or test and have ketones in my in my my, my urine or my blood mm-hmm. then I know I'm flipping the metabolic switch mm-hmm. and flipping the metabolic switch is when you switch from carbs to fats yeah. fat burning but you can also use this device here. And you can actually see like, what am I burning right now? And you can just, you know, use it with, it's called Lumen Mm -hmm. and I might need to charge this one. I'm not sure. But basically it's a device that measures your respiratory quotient and it is a thing that you blow into. And these things used to be like entire rooms of hospitals to measure Mm -hmm. metabolism. And now you can just get this like my, you know, this device that's this small. So I've been, I've been, I was advising this company a long time ago and um, I just love seeing them succeed. It's really great to, to see them. I agree, and they're obviously they're not the only one in the market as far as like um, ketone meters that are that are, you know, through breath. But what I love about Lumen specifically is the is the interface, right? Uh, are are ah. the uh, the in, insights that you can get from it? Yeah, I think that is they're they're really unique 
in the field. As so far they've as done that a really. I mean, they're Israeli scientists, and so they really know their science. And they mm-hmm. they've ta- they've taught me. I mean, they were really the ones who taught me about metabolic flexibility. They sent me all these papers, and mm-hmm. I was like, because I used the device initially to lose some weight before my sister's wedding, and mm-hmm. I lost like I don't know five six pounds in like a couple weeks really quickly, and I was like, this thing's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just helping me track my my you know that I was in ketosis. And I'm not really into continuous ketosis anymore, but I do like eating low carb in general. Mm-hmm. I feel healthiest when I eat low carb and it just, it just works for me, but not everybody needs to be low carb. Some people thrive on higher carb diets. Yeah. Would you say that this is something that also helps deal with a uh, hormonal imbalance, like keeping it, keeping low carb or fluctuating between ketosis and, and. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really just it's like mitochondrial quality control, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you're always eating carbs all day long, you're never really giving your body the ability to burn fats. And one of the things that I, I, I think is true is I've been asking myself, like, why is it that people get visceral fat? You know, like Mm -hmm. where does visceral fat come from? And I really think it's pretty simple. Like if you are eating and overeating food and also overeating high fat, high carb foods, Mm -hmm. your metabolism is going to prioritize carb burning. Because in the in the presence of insulin, it metabolizes it, it's it prioritizes carbs, mm-hmm. and so now you're eating like all these carbs, and then you've got all this fat lying around that's waiting to be eaten. But you've got a traffic jam in the cells because they're like so busy burning carbs that it's like, what are you gonna do with all the fat? And mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just like, there's only one explanation of how visceral fat forms. It's like it literally is like a backlog of fat that hasn't been metabolized because your body's in carb metabolism for too long. Mm -hmm. And I just, I kind of feel like most people aren't looking at the bodies properly. They're not like thinking first principles, like what's really happening under the hood. And the vast majority of people are never flipping the metabolic switch. They're eating late at night. They're eating high fat, high carb foods. They're eating lots of fast foods, processed foods. And these foods are the vast majority of the human diet and they've got fatty liver. And so they've got inefficient metabolism. And so they start getting these big guts and these, these guts, these big wide waist circumferences are also the result of cortisol. So somebody with a high cortisol state is going to have a higher waist circumference because you literally like it's, it must be a metabolic adaptation on purpose to keep fuel near the organs where they would be digested. Like that has to be the explanation of why cortisol would cause, you know, abdominal Mm -hmm. fat. Because like it's easily accessed, you know, it's like, it's like, it's there, it's next to the organs. The problem is, is that when you start getting this fat really infiltrating the organ tissues themselves, then they start to break down. So, you know, this is why fatty liver is so damaging. It can cause cirrhosis and even liver transplants. Yeah. I love how you refer to, you know, cortisol as cortisol and not just using the word stress because in general, the, uh, your approach to stress, because there are different types of stress, as you mentioned before. And it's really important to really zero hone in on, on cortisol levels and even the, the timing of cortisol is in order to understand what's harming us and what's not. Yeah. Do you feel like particularly for women, is there a different way relationship as far as stress for when, men and women and um, maybe inducing stress? Just anecdotally, it seems like... Yeah men's stress cups are just a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Like they can handle a little bit more. And I think that's partially because men's initial job in human existence but back in primitive times was to go fight and to go hunt, right? Mm-hmm. And not that women didn't hunt or fight, but women were kind of made sure that the tribe was alive and the babies mm-hmm. were raised and 
you wouldn't really necessarily go take a baby out to go hunting, right? So when you think about that biological imperative, it's like, it makes sense that men are a little bit more wired for handling aggression and mm-hmm. for being, you know, being offensive or defensive if necessary. Men are based oppressed and dominant. Yeah. That means men's jobs in, society, in, in like primitive times were to protect and defend the tribe and to aggress if they were being attacked. And so women, you know, are, are oxytocin dominant. We're, we're really designed to connect and to nurture and, and to basically help, you know, help promote life. And yeah. this is a beautiful polarity that exists for a reason because it helped propagate life. Right. Yeah. And gender is a really compl- complicated topic in modern life for some reason. I don't really know why it's become <laughs> this thing that everyone is like so pissed off about, but yeah. I really think polarity is important. And I think it's, Polarity is like one of the one of the core rules of existence. Like if you, you lose polarity, life does not propagate. So I have a masculine side and a feminine side, but I'm fundamentally female. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, we've created a society that's very much a, a man's world, and and it, and it is what it is. It just it's designed by men, and women having to operate in a man's world means that we have to sometimes ignore our physiological signals. And like mm-hmm. it, it was only this year that I really started because I was writing this book and I was just like trying to explain like why we're different. I was like, man, even though I know that I should take more time off around my period and that I shouldn't schedule so many calls and podcasts, I still found myself overworking during my period and before my period when I was the most, when I had the least amount of, least amount of uh, energy. And yeah. I do think that may have contributed a little bit to my cortisol excess because I wasn't really respecting the the sort of rhythm rhythms of my life. Yeah. And so I finally am at a point where I do think that I'm I'm actually able to create space, but it was it's it's been a battle. I mean, it is like a constant like having to track my period and keep like okay, what am I doing during that? Cuz I know like 2 days before my period I'm going to be tired. Yeah. And it takes real you know, like awareness of my body's rhythms to say, yeah, I'm not going to do that extra call that day even though like I want to. And I have a tendency to want to just work through everything. And yet mm-hmm. I know it, I know it has consequences. And yeah. And, um, I feel, you know, I think it go it, it divides into two categories. I think most people, especially physically, they have, they, they use, you know, the cycles as, as excuses to lay off when maybe they shouldn't lay off or to, um, let's go. Well, it's not necessarily about like giving up all your responsibilities, mm-hmm. but it is about giving yourself some time for reflection and inner and like rest, you know? Yeah. yeah. 100%. And also to kind of push yourself when you can push yourself, when it is that yeah. time of the month to push yourself. Absolutely. So, so what are some of the strategies that you implement that you, that you like as far as like, um, recovering from stress? Because a lot of the times it's, yeah, we, we go through stress, like it's inevitable, but what do yeah. we do to recover from it? Yeah. What do we do to de-stress? And so, so last year, I, I mean, I, I really feel like I got, I got, the funny thing about biohacking is like when my life was a little bit less stressed out, mm-hmm. I didn't do as much recovery. But this last year, because I had so much going on, I was like, heck Molly, you've got an entire living room of biohacking tools. Why aren't you using them? (laughs) So I started using my PEMF mats. I I literally have one under my desk right here that I'm just going to like turn on, put on my feet and just like use as a tool in the toolbox. But I love PEMF because it's kind of like a human battery charger. I also love, you know, Theragun and sauna and sauna and cold plunges at my gym. So I like to go to my gym and, and use those. 
massage has always really been important to me. I need to get a massage this week or next week for sure. <laughs> and then what else aside from massage? Yeah, I might get a massage next week in LA when I'm there. <laughs> and then on top of that is, let's see here. You know, I love I love red light therapy. It's just yeah. sitting in front of red light can be really nice. And I have infrared mats that I can lay on too. Sometimes I just go and lay, lay on those and like read before I go to bed. And then I like acupressure mats as well. I found yeah. that they actually do improve HRV, at least on my, my, my wearable. Breath work is really great. Just deep breathing before you go to sleep and meditation first thing in the morning. You know, like I definitely spend a fair amount of time before bed and in the morning before I wake up, just like laying there thinking about, you know, either meditating, prayer or visualization. So those are my big ones, I'd say. And then obviously taking a vacation when you need to. Like I took like two very memorable vacations last year and then I guess three. And I think taking time off is really important, really, really important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that's really actually taking real time off is key. Yeah. So you talked about like the the uh, apart the biohacking apartment you have over there. What are some of the like emerging strategies, emerging research as far as in in the biohacking community for like health optimization? What are you excited oh, about? I mean, I have a bunch of random stuff in my fridge from different health providers, including NAD patches mm-hmm. from the company Ion Layer that Anthony mm-hmm. Gustin just launched, and I'm super stoked about that product. I, I started using these patches in 20, let's see here. Uh, I think it was like 20, 2019 was maybe the first time I started using these patches. And so it's cool to see it's 2020, almost three, 2023. And now they're like catching on. Yeah. So NAD is a big one. I didn't write about it in my book because I wasn't like totally certain that it was, um, it was like, I was just like, I was still somewhat skeptical. And then mm-hmm. I just, I did an NAD weekend with my friend Katrine yeah. and I just like, oh my God, I felt like a new woman after that. I needed it so badly after having COVID last year. And it was like game changing. And then peptides are a big one. I mean, specifically because we know that insulin resistance is a huge cause of disease and like, you know, MOTC and semaglutide and Wagovi and all these GLP-1 inhibitors, these peptides are game changing for people who have obesity. Yeah. And diabetes. And so it's like, these are, you know, really interesting medicines. And, um, I'm just like excited to see, you know, there's another peptide PT 141 that I just ordered some to try. And it's like a arousal agent for men and women. And I mean, like who doesn't want more arousal? I mean, I'm, I don't really need it, but I'm interested in, in, um, how we can, you know, provide it to people. Yeah. 100%. Talking about speaking about Katrine and, and, uh, uh, NAD retreats in, in Sedona. Yeah. What do you think about methylene blue, whether it is as like a train does it, which is through an IV or uh, orally um, suppositories? Yeah. I mean, I love, love, love methylene blue. The biggest problem is supply and mm-hmm. sourcing. So I, I didn't write about it in the book, not because it wasn't useful, but because I know most people don't know how, don't, don't know how to get their hands on good stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there, like most of what's sold on Amazon is for aquariums. So yeah. You know, we definitely want people to be sourcing it from doctors and pharmacists, but it's just not widely available. So it's a great tool, though, in the toolbox. In fact, I need to get some. <laughs> yeah, I I love uh, transcriptions. I take it uh, every. I, I just take don't like some... my tongue. I don't like my tongue blue during calls. Okay, so that is something that I hope they don't watch. They didn't. Get, they don't get forty minutes into this episode, so they don't uh, get mad at me. But I swallow it. I mean, it. Oh. It, it shows ninety percent availability in the gut. Oh, 
my God. Wow. Yeah, so I just swallow it. I don't like two things that, as far as uh, vocal uh, trochees, uh, which they have. One is obviously uh, your tongue blue if, if, if it's... You know, if it's not appropriate, you know, if I go to a dinner mm-hmm. and again, I'm, I'm the only biohacker, you know, good luck uh, explaining why, why your tongue is blue. That's number one. And number two, I take the, uh, the one that they have that has more than methylene blue, like it has a little bit of nicotine, like a microdose of nicotine. Oh, and, yeah. Etc. cetera. You like it? I do. I love it. The problem is, is that if I do contact sports and I have a mouth guard on, then oh. I, it, it, it permanently stains it so these are the two things that that are problematic for me as far as like Mm -hmm. uh, those Mm -hmm. specifically Uh, so yeah obviously I prefer using it through my gums absorbing it through my gums especially if I do like red light therapy or something like that but in general I'll just swallow them most of the time and I take either the the uh, only methylene blue one or or the uh, one that's the combination every day I need to get on there I need to get on these I'm going to text Scott right now Mm mm-hmm Text Scott. Uh, tell him that, uh, that, that don't don't snitch. Don't tell him that I I, I told you that you just swallowed it. I wanted to take a quick break for this episode to chat with you about our Young Goose skincare product and our special offer for our podcast listeners. Our products are the world's first biohacking skincare products. And what they aim to do is to reboot uh, your skin cells to a youthful state so they can correct the cellular damage that is accumulated over time. Our favorite products and the one that we recommend everyone to start with are is our care concentrated moisturizer that can be used as both a day and a and the night cream. What this product is really specially delivering to the skin is our NAD precursors that are nano-sized and lipolized. They are both NR and NMN. And what they aim to do is to fuel the repair processes that our skin engages in by activating also our sirtuins, which are our anti-aging genes or our longevity genes that are responsible for DNA repair and basically repairing who we are really as human beings. In order to do that in the most effective way, we combine it with our enhanced resveratrol, which is fermented resveratrol that allows resveratrol to be 50 times more bioavailable in the skin and actually non-toxic because most people don't know that resveratrol is actually toxic for the skin since the skin doesn't have the enzyme to break it down like our gut does. So by fermenting the the resveratrol and introducing the enzymes in the fermentation process, we can obviously make it non-toxic and 50 times more bioavailable. And Care Concentrated Moisturizer also has 10 more active ingredients that support those processes, such as CoQ10, PQQ, two forms of vitamin C, and even turmeric and B vitamins. This is the first product we recommend. The second is eye care, which is a version of care specifically for the eyes. It also contains our NAD precursors and also contains very, very advanced peptides, our proprietary complex that includes GHKCU, a copper peptide that is very famous for its anti-aging abilities. The third product we recommend is our ProCare Serum. And that is a very special serum because it interacts with the mTOR pathway, which is a pathway that is very famous for its ability to affect how we age. 
So this product does a few things, but really what it does, it eliminates senescent cells, which are cells that harm our skin because our skin couldn't clear them very well. So it eliminates those, regenerates the skin. It stimulates the mitochondria with lilac Uh, cell culture extract. And it also has a very strong and effective form of vitamin C that is well known to help the skin regenerate itself. Combining these three products by first applying ProCare, then Eye Care, and then Care will give you the best results you've ever experienced for your skin. And that we guarantee. If you would like to try these products, you can head over to younggoose.com to our website. And when checking out, please use the promo code PODCAST20 in all capital letters in order to get 20% off your first purchase. Again, head over to younggoose.com and use promo code PODCAST20 in all capitals for 20% off your first purchase. And now let's get back to the podcast. Uh, what about some other, like, uh, let's call them like, uh, you know, more more fringe type of supplements uh, that you're taking? What about stuff like uh, spermidine? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are big. I mean, Amy, Amy Killen loves spermidine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not currently taking spermidine because I just, I really focus on my supplementation based on what I really need in the yeah. moment right now. And like mm-hmm. my big goal and like I, I have a whole supplement kit. <laughs> I'd have to go get it to actually see what I'm taking right now. But um, I'm taking a skin supplement by Neurohacker because mm-hmm. I'm going to be in a lot of appearances in the next month. So I like their Neurohacker's quality of skin is quite good for appearances. It. It's great. It's a great um, product because it it has so many carotenoids and skin promoting ingredients. And I actually mm-hmm. did know, notice a difference when I started taking it. So I was like, I had a bottle and I was like, I'm going to start taking this again. Yeah, I just finished a bottle of AFA algae that I was really, I really liked and it's got a lot of minerals in it. So I do need to get another bottle of that. I have masszymes from bio-optimizers because, mm-hmm. you know, gotta, gotta love a good digestion. And yeah. when you're traveling a lot and you're under a lot of stress, your digestion suffers. So I, I hugely believe in that product. I wasn't really a believer in enzymes for a long time until um, this company came along and I finally mm-hmm. was like, and actually I read this guy, Christopher Gonzalez's work, who sadly unfortunately passed, but he has a great, yeah. great research on just the role of enzymes in health. And so probiotics, because I had to take antibiotics last year, so I'm still taking mm-hmm. some probiotics. And then what else am I on? I'm on vitamin D, B, B complex, a mm-hmm. big old heck of a lot of omega-3s. I really, I, I like omega dose omegas. Do you, do you have a brand that you like? I uh, do. That but is probably the most important. The thing, like, I can't promote the brand because they're not available in America. So I can't give people the name because yeah. you can't get them here. Now but, I know which brand you're taking. <laughs> yeah. it's it's And the founder is an absolute yeah. crazy human, but uh-huh. and he's really mad at me right now, but whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I feel bad about that relationship because this, this person's very pissed at me. But um, anyway, moving on. Um, mm-hmm. Also taking magnesium and you can't really live without magnesium. It's a, it's a yeah. key, key uh, ingredient in metabolism. And I'm taking, one, I've been experimenting with things like, uh-huh. You did mention uh, two companies which I love their magnesiums, which is uh, bioptimizers. Uh, yeah, bioptimizers. I also love upgraded formulas magnesium. Yeah. They have a really good magnesium for night. Mm-hmm. That that stuff works for sleep. So the big ones that most people need are omegas, A B complex, vitamin D, K one, K two is in my is my my vitamin D, magnesium, mm-hmm. minerals. But most people 
are also aren't going to test their bodies. Like I test my body to see what I need. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, whatever you're trying to optimize. So like, I also typically take supplements for choline metabolism, yeah. usually CDB choline. Right now I only have uridine in, in, in my house. I'm also taking saffron cause it's mm -hmm. great for mood. And then also I sometimes take scalidium for mood. If I want to feel really happy, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's kind of like a legal Molly. But you yeah. can take small doses of it and it's great. If you take high doses of it, it can get, get you high. But if you take mm -hmm. small doses of it, it's great. So I, I took that yesterday because I had been out late then that week, like last weekend with some friends and I just felt like I needed a little boost. But saffron, I, I'm pretty much consistently taking because it gives me such a great, it just overall improves dopamine metabolism. Yeah. But I have to say there is a new biohack I discovered that's pretty groundbreaking. And it's this company called Think Interfaces and Lana Morrow is the founder. And I'm not even joking. I did four days of her. It's like a neurofeedback frequency-based device where you play mm -hmm. a video game with your brain. And it made a massive improvement in my ADHD. Like wow. I am not even joking. This, this thing is like, and not only did it improve my ADHD, it improved my mood and it like made me more attractive. So like, wow. I'm like, lady, can we get this thing please into the world? It's incredible. So it's not available yet in, 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 you know, widespread. You can get it. Um, if you come to Austin, they mm -hmm. do offer sessions at alive and well, but they're very much like in, in stealth right now. They're not really wide, wide, widespread, widely available. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's going to beat out 40 years of Zen. I'm, and I'm sorry, Dave, I was just on your podcast, but <laughs> this, this is going to beat out. That's interesting. We're going to be in Austin soon. So I'm going to make sure to, to check it out. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to you to, to remind me where to get it. So yeah, that's as far as supplements. You did mention like, um, do you do any uh, transcranial direct stimulation, anything like that for brain function at all? No, because I don't understand it well enough mm -hmm. to do it, but I also don't have a depression. Yeah. My big issue is I can't seem to stop being an achievement oriented human. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, this is the year I'm going to have balance. And then I'm like <laughs> going to Dubai right after I launched my book, you know, like You know, it's like, but yeah. I got a free trip. I got a free trip to Dubai. So like, that's cool. Um, I did have to pay my plane ticket, but I did get a free ticket to a cool conference in Dubai. And I was like, Very cool. what a great gift to give myself. But I, I guess I'm trying to achieve more, more balance. And, um, but I do stress myself out fairly well. And yeah. yet at the same time, like, I know if I just did like 10% as much as what I'm doing, I would be more productive. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like weirdly I'm at 39 on January. I'm about, I'll be 39 at the end of the month. And like, I kind of feel like I'm just getting started, which is kind of funny because I've been at this for like 10 years, but it feels like I'm finally hitting my stride. So I'm really yeah. excited about the next 10 years. I'm like stoked about where life is going to go for me. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I have a great community of fa family and friends around me that are so supportive. Yeah. And definitely, uh, you know, I feel uh, like you're only getting started like that. You have so Thanks. much to give to the world. Very, very, very excited for you. Uh, especially for Dubai in the winter, you know, Dubai in the summer is no, no, that's not going to be a good trip. But now it uh, seems like a wonderful time to go to Dubai. Uh, yeah, it's, how, apparently it's kind of, it's kind of neutral weather and it's like kind of yeah. nice weather in the winter yeah. in there. Um, What about um, yeah. microdosing psychedelics uh, as far as balance? I uh, mean, as as I can't microdose um, psilocybin because it gives me serious anxiety. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I get really anxious if I microdose psilocybin. So I just don't microdose. It's yeah. not my thing. I, I have a lot of friends who swear by it, but um, I don't really recommend it because it doesn't work for me and because yeah. it's not legal yet. But it's going to be legal. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're going to see microdosing available someday. The problem is, is that the, the research 
seems to suggest it's, you know, I think it's like a super placebo. I think it mm -hmm. does activate oxytocin, but I think oxytocin is the reason why the placebo response works. So I think that like, I think mind, mind med is really interesting company to follow because they're studying microdosing LSD for yeah. ADHD. I'm so hoping that that thing works in their studies because I would do, if it was, if it was like an available in a pharmaceutical grade, properly yeah. dosed, I would, I would totally do that, but it's, it's getting studied. So it might be in the next 10 years. We'll see. But yeah, like psychedelic revolution is very exciting, but there's a lot of research that needs to be done a yeah, lot. For sure. You know, for we sure. have a lot, we have a long way to go before we can start recommending these across the board to people. 100%. I've actually become even more like more conservative with my beliefs around the potential for psychedelics because I've seen a lot of damage happen to people with overusing them, you know? So to me, I just, I, I think we all need to take a step back. And as much as I'm like a very like excited about the future of psychedelics, we need to not treat them like they're going to just like solve all of our problems because they actually can cause problems for people as I've seen this last year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point because the way that the American system, the medical system works is if we want to make something legal, the easiest way, the low, lowest hanging fruit is to say, treat something like we could see what yeah. happened as far as like marijuana and, and the, the route that every state basically takes. I mean, we're in Florida, uh, we're kind of mid midway Texas is a little bit behind where you're at, but um, basically like the way to legalize uh, marijuana in the, in the United States is first to classify it as a treatment and then have it for a while yeah. prescribed and then legalize it. I mean, and uh, it seems like psilocybin is going in the same way. And the problem is, is that I hear a lot of people just referring to it as medicine or something like that when really they are not using it medically or to treat well, anything. They're really. not even using it ritualistically, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I do think that if you actually look at the actual science and the studies and the papers that analyze all drugs, including alcohol and cigarettes, psilocybin is at the end of risk, right? It's like mm -hmm. the lowest risk of all these things. So that's part of the reason why I do anticipate we will see a recreational market just like yeah. marijuana for products like psilocybin. And we should because it is fairly safe. And as long as we can get these things dosed properly, like as long as you know what you're taking and they're and they're safe, like these are getting decriminalized all over the country. So yeah. I do think that proper dosing of psilocybin is far lower risk for health, especially if you're not doing heroic doses. And I'm talking yeah. like maybe a gram or something. It's far safer than alcohol. Okay. The the, yeah. the science is just patently there. Now it's definitely still a schedule one. You can still get arrested for it. You can still go to jail for it. So, and it's not, it's not fully legal. Even if it's decriminalized, it's still not federally legal. So we can't just act like this thing is like everyone should take it because it's not mm -hmm. true. Not everybody's a candidate for it. Some people can, some people, there's more and more bipolar people out there. There's more and more psychosis out there. Like if you have any risk of mental illness, you really should be under the care of a doctor before yeah. you even consider experimenting with stuff like that. But I'm really interested in the traditional uses of these things for helping people with um, healing from, you know, conditions of like diseases of despair and social injury. So yeah. I, I really am curious about, you know, the indigenous use of these and how we can incorporate some of the indigenous practices into modern medicine. Yeah. Like that to me is really exciting and interesting. And at the same time, like Justin Mayers wrote in his newsletter on Substack that like he has found that MDMA has like really improved his marriage. Mm -hmm. And there's a woman, Ann Wagner, studying MDMA in, in Canada for, for, for couples. And so 
the fact is, is that MDMA was given to 500,000 people before it got scheduled as by the DEA. Mm-hmm. It was given to like 500,000 people safely. And I do think we're going to see it get approved for PTSD. But I also think that it's possible it can help people with relationship problems and sexual dysfunction. So there's a lot of research coming in, the, in, in these medicines. But again, we need to figure out how to create the right setting, how to create the right mindset, how to create the right integration programs. I'm personally working on a company that's developing a drug agnostic protocol for sexual dysfunction. And I think that MDMA, once it's approved, could be a tool in the toolbox through clinical you know, administration. But we, we do need to wait for it to get to that point. Yeah. I think you know, we all need to... I mean, if we could take a step back and, and really figure out how we deal with the different uh, neurotransmitters that, that we have in our brain. Like what I'm, when I'm saying that my resolution for 2023, for example, is have a different relationship with dopamine, for example, having mm, have it. It's a great resolution. Uh, yeah. I mean, that and that, I think it's a very like um, meta uh, high level, yeah. resolu- like high resolution type of um, yeah. Reso- resolution, right? Because what you, what I, what I want to do is to work hard for my dopamine hits. That, yes. that is, uh, I think, something that most of us are not considering: the fact that we should be working hard for, for you know, dopamine, serotonin, whatever that is, and creating that relationship. And sometimes, if we take a drug or anything like a shortcut, the problem is, is that it does not work. You talked about indigenous practices, it does not work in congruence with what we were evolved to do, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that what, what's happened is, is companies have hijacked it on purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's being hijacked on purpose so that people buy stuff, right? So people actually like move and do things and like eat foods and like, you know, these, these foods, these packaged processed foods are designed to hit the bliss point. They're designed to cause in extreme, you know, I, I have photos of my nieces that the first cupcake they each got, and they look like they are screaming with pleasure beyond comprehension. It's like they're having the craziest mouth orgasm. They're just like, ah, and it's just like so excited to eat this cupcake. And it's like, they're clearly high on dopamine, oh, right? Yeah. And it starts oh, yeah. young. And like, I, I know that's okay. So like last year I went to a party, someone brought up, you know, dessert that was gluten-free and I was <laughs> celebrating because it was like a, you know, it was a party and it was like, I hadn't been out for a while and I was like, you know, I accomplished a lot and I was like, all right, I'm going to have a good night out. And I ate some gluten-free desserts. And I remember after having been eating low carb and being working out consistently and being really fit and strong and having almost no sugar for many, many months, I was like, I felt like my nieces. I was like, oh my Mm -hmm. God. I was like, this is like crazy how much dopamine I'm getting in my head right now. So the the fun part about not eating sugar very often is that when you do eat sugar, you get this insane high, but it's also like part of a problem because I looked at my blood sugar monitor and it was like over 200, you know, it was really unhealthy, but once in a while, enjoy yourself. You know, just don't make it a daily habit to have your birthday cake every day. Like you don't need cake every day. It should be a, deca- a special occasion thing. Are you as as radical as someone such as myself saying, oh, sugar is a drug? It should be looked at the same way you consume any other drug or are yeah. you more lenient? I'm, 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 I'm going to say that sugar is a drug and so is most processed foods mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because they're yeah. designed to affect your brain like drugs do. So why are we not treating them as such, you know, like, like they're, 
I mean, I get, I mean, I, I have to say like when I, when I was once dating this guy who took me to these really nice Michelin restaurants regularly. Mm-hmm. And there was a point after about six months of dating him where I was like, this is really fun, but I'm not, I don't feel good. <laughs> like I'm not feeling well after all this food. And so yeah. I, I think the problem with like the whole, like saying sugar's a drug is like arguably every Michelin restaurant that I've been to, the food is drug-like. I mean, it's mm-hmm. designed to be extraordinary on your, into your mouth. Like it's so, it hits so many different buttons that you're just like, it, it's, it's orgasmic. Right. But that are they, is food a drug? Well, I mean, food can be drug-like. Yeah. But funny thing about my life is that having used like I used to live in California and I used to eat like lots and lots of really fresh, delicious homemade food. And then I then they hit the pandemic and I moved around a bit and I realized that it took me a lot more effort to get to eat the kind of food that I really liked. And I actually had to do some hunting and gathering. Like I actually did wow. some foraging and I like foraged for all sorts of things in the Midwest with my family. And I ate a lot, a lot of wild game that my, my dad shot because it was hard for me to find the kind of food that I wanted to eat. It was actually yeah. a challenge. And so I now when I cook, like I still cook to, to, to enjoy things, but I cook a lot simpler and mm-hmm. I'm really just focused on ingredients. And I'm really, really like, yes, I, I do enjoy my food. But it's become so much more simple, the, the foods I cook now, because I'm so busy. And I think most people, they treat food as though every single time they eat, it's a special occasion. Mm-hmm. And every single meal they have has to be like the best meal of all time. And I look at food, food as fuel now. It's like, yes, yeah. of course, I do enjoy going out to eat and I do enjoy eating healthy, delicious food. But I'm a lot less, I guess, I get, I guess I've kind of cut back a little bit on the excessive amounts of Epicureanism that I had yeah. years ago. And I'm, and, and when I see my family, I certainly indulge and like, I, I do enjoy like a good solid, like I do enjoy like, you know, crab legs and, 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 uh, filet mignon. But I, I would say that most of what I eat these days is like pretty basic and it's like yeah. meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, fruits. And it's a lot of stuff that I make myself. And I, I find that when I'm not overstimulating my own dopamine system, I don't have that hit every time I eat a meal where it's like, I need my next meal to hit me hard. You know, like my food like makes me feel good, but it's not stimulating my brain in a way that makes me feel high. Like it makes me feel just great. You know, I just feel, I like to feel good after I eat a meal. Um, and that I used to cook for, for, for bliss, you know, and for like extreme feelings of like, this is insane. Like during the pandemic, like I didn't have enough. I didn't feel like there was a lot of dopamine laying around because there was nothing to do. And so I was cooking to like hit my brain with like, boom, like this is like the best meal. And I was cooking these insane Mm -hmm. meals and then I was getting weight and I was getting fat and I was like, okay, I got to cut this out. So I've scaled back a lot of that and become a lot more simple. And I think simplicity and balance and harmony is really the secret to health. And that's, 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 that's where my life, my life has changed a lot in the last few years. I agree. You know, if you could ask me what my religion is, one of my religions are, let's say, decision fatigue, like the uh, putting a sanctifying uh, good decision making and strengthening your decision making muscles uh, in many different ways. I think that's a whole program someone should do sometimes. Obviously, the book Atomic Habits is great to start with. Oh, yeah. I think when you're when you're when you are investing all your whatever that is, all your emotions and your and your energy into cooking food, it could be great. It could be something that is a stress reliever for some people. But for most of us, oh, it is Oh, I do actually- love to cook. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I love cooking. I love baking and I love making things. It's really nourishing. Yeah, but I think for, for, for 
going through that day in, day out, you are actually robbing other parts of your life that you could invest energy into from that energy because you're investing so much energy into cooking and you're deriving so much satisfaction from it where you, you know, you could diversify the way you do that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So just to kind of summarize what what we were talking about here, and obviously, you know, talking to you only made me, (laughs) I can't can't wait for, for, for uh, the end of the month when the book comes out. So we were, we were talking about, you know, nutrition, uh, microbiome, uh, metabolic flexibility, hormone health, you know, the future of biohacking, tying it up to like mitochondrial health, skin, you know, mm. women's health, etc. What do you say, like, what is the future of, of Molly Maluf looks like? What is the next book going to be about? Or Ooh. how do you continue from here? Yeah, I mean, so my life is slowly, I don't know, like, I, I started kind of feeling like I, I figured out a lot of metabolism and mitochondrial mm-hmm. function. And I was like, this is cool. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think what's really interesting is the role of relationships and human connection on health. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that I grew up thinking that love was like the Christian version of love, like Jesus is unconditional love. And I, I, I grew up in a really loving family. Mm-hmm. So I was really fortunate to have you know, just parents that were really unbelievably kind to me. But over time, as I started dating and as an adult, I realized that like love is a really complex part of existence. And I think that we don't really understand it. And we often don't realize the risks associated with it. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that our company is doing is developing products and services around the science of love, but we're Mm -hmm. not treating love the same way that people treat it today. It's not like a Disney movie. It's not like a, it's not like a Spotify, you know, song that you're listening to. It's like love can be healthy or unhealthy and like unhealthy love. When people get broken up with, they can go crazy. They can lose their mind. They can, they can, you know, I, I'm personally dealing with a person who I had like a short-term love affair who became obsessed with me and is now stalking me. And like, that's really scary. And women don't realize that love is dangerous in some cases. And like when we, when people lose family members and lose, lose love, they can go into deep grief and delayed grief and depression. So I really think that lack of love, like Princess Diana once said, is like the root cause of a lot of disease. And I'd say over half of the DSM is related to lack of love, abuse and neglect Mm -hmm. of children. And, and so I, I'm really just like, I'm interested in creating a theory of health that's based on the science of how our bodies work. And to me, what's really interesting about mitochondria is that they're actually social organelles and they're mm-hmm. not just mitochondria. They're not just metabolic organelles. They actually behave like humans do. They, they come together, they fuse, they share information and resources. They, they break apart. They do mm-hmm. all sorts of things that humans do. There's a great paper on this actually. And so I, I'm just convinced that like the biological imperative to survive and reproduce and connect is like, it's 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 fundamental to understanding health and yet the connection piece has not made it into modern medicine or really the health world and the biohacking world. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm really emphasizing is like human connection and understanding how to create healthier relationships, how to have better conflict resolution, how to identify if a person might have a personality disorder and you shouldn't associate with them, mm-hmm. to avoid getting hurt if you break up with someone, how to actually how to actually heal sexual dysfunction is a big piece of what I'm focusing on. Sexual trauma is a big cause of dis-ease in women and men. And it's a huge 
underlinger of a lot of big problems in society. So we're focusing first on um, on creating a sex therapy, and then I'm very interested in the concept of measuring human connection through technology. So that'll be a later product we're going to build. Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, Molly, I super appreciate the time that you gave us. Uh, as I keep, keep saying, I can't wait to read the book. Uh, when is the book coming out? Uh, obviously, the name is Spark Factor. Sure. Brilliant name. Ja- yeah. January 31st mm-hmm. this month. And then you can buy it on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble. You can go to my website, www.drmolly.co backslash the Spark Factor. And you can follow me on Instagram at drmolly.co. How about the audiobook? Uh, does it come oh, out? Oh, I recorded it myself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Highly recommend it. It'll be it'll be really fun to listen to. But I also would recommend getting it on just getting the paperback form because it is it's it can be sometimes there are there are some parts of it that um you might want to read versus listen to. I agree. To. And I, I agree when when it's a book that you want to really like embed the information in your brain uh no pun intended. You really want to sure. uh I like listening to it then let's say listening to one chapter going back to the to the uh physical version marking what I like there, what I want to remember. To me, this is the best and most enjoyable way to, to experience a book. So definitely that. Uh, highly, highly recommend uh, consuming your also, also your information through social media. Thank you very much, Molly. Uh, Thank it's, you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Have a great day. You Bye. as well.